Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. History in five songs with host Martin Popoff, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, hello, Martin Popoff here. Welcome back to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon Media. Okay, so last week we talked about power metal, but we talked about it specifically in an American context. As I explained in that episode, the idea was that, um, you know, going looking at our face, uh, Facebook group that we've got going, and, um, you know, it's quite active. He- check it out. Head over there. Um, we had a, had a bit of a talk about power metal, and I explained the fact that I don't think we could do a proto-power metal episode. I don't think we could do just a single power metal episode. Um, because this is called History in Five Songs, the idea is to do historical things and not and not give like the um you know the the complete story of so what i what i figured was uh manageable was a look at you know the distinctly uh american contribution to power metal and then the distinctly european uh, contribution to power metal so this is the uh the sister episode if you will of last week's episode on, uh, on the birth of American power metal. This one, I guess we could call the birth of European power metal. Okay, so, um, you know, just a, just a little bit of a definition again. Power metal is a, is a uh, heavy metal genre that sort of comes from Uriah Heep, most notably Judas Priest, Scorpions, um, kind, of a, kind of a European aesthetic, Black Sabbath to some extent, um, that that uh, that originally kind of had uh, sword and sorcery uh, or magic or fantasy themes, but also had on the musical end had a little bit of a a classical bent, possibly coming from well, very much so coming from the likes of uh, Richie Blackmore and Deep Purple. But yeah, Rainbow definitely. Uh, how could I forget? Rainbow is a big proto. Uh, power metal band with Ronnie James Dio's lyrics, um, you know, about magicians and wizards and stuff like that. And again, this uh, this love of classical music that Richie has, you know, quoting Bach and Beethoven and all this sort of stuff. Brahms, I'm not sure exactly. I'm uh, I'm guessing there, but he was a big Bach guy, that's for sure. Um, and uh, and there's a lot of classicalness to his uh, to his playing. So. 
you know, the reason I want to dwell on this is because, uh, you know, in the American power metal episode, we talked about how it was kind of a gritty biker traditional sort of metal. Well, on the European side, it most definitely uh, comes from basically comes from Richie Blackmore and, and Rainbow and, and definitely Judas Priest. So, um, again, we're not going to talk about the later power metal bands because the, the biggest power metal bands, uh, when the scene really picked up around, uh, the, the late eighties into the nineties and perennially going on now, I would say three quarters of the bands, uh, that, that we look at as power metal and quintessentially power metal. Again, a lot of melody, a lot of classicalness, keyboards, high singing, uh, are the European bands. Um, basically, as I explained in the last episode, America really has Iced Earth and, uh, and Jag Panzer as sort of the big uh, champions of this music moving forward. But uh, I'll, I'll get to it later. But, uh, but the, you know, Europe has a lot of these bands. Um, okay, now, the other thing I said in the American episode is I wanted to start it post-Iron Maiden. Um, but when we come to the European one, I absolutely, absolutely have to include Iron Maiden. So take a listen to this. This is our first entry in History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, the birth of European power metal. This is Iron Maiden with, you love it, Quest for Fire. Okay, that was a little bit of a joke there. Quest for Fire was a a widely ridiculed song. It had it had sort of a lyrical theme along the theme of the movie. Uh, I, yeah, it was called Quest for Fire. Um, you know, the the old caveman movie. I, I believe there was an invented language in that. And you know, Iron Maiden. It, it was starting to get a trend that they were that they were kind of looking too often to movies for inspiration, and this one felt really kind of topical, topical, if you will. Um, but okay, why well, wanted to pick this one? I originally thought like let's play a little bit of Trooper and give you that classic twin lead and that epicness because epicness is a big thing from power metal. But Iron Maiden absolutely are the first post seventies band that are they're super important in this whole thing. All of the new wave of British heavy metal there were there were little you know disparate contributions to power metal along the way, but but Iron Maiden are the big one because there are the um, you know, the fantasy themes and the war themes and the horror themes, but there's the twin leads. When Bruce comes along, there's the high operatic singing. There's definitely an epic quality to it. There's a conceptual quality. You get long songs uh, showing up like To Tame a Land and, and eventually Alexander the Great and Rime of the Ancient Mariner. You know, these 10-minute songs are happening. That's kind of a cool power metal thing as well. Um, but I wanted to pick Quest for Fire. We're up to the, uh, what are we up to? We're up to the fourth album here, Peace of Mind. 1983 this one has a little bit of that sort of pompous riding on your horse um you know slow gallop this sort of epic drama 
uh, that is associated with power metal. So I think, you know, as uh, let's get some use out of Quest for Fire because all it gets is abuse. Um, so I figured let's get some use out of it and uh, and give you a little bit of, uh, of a true power metal song uh, from Iron Maiden early on. Okay, now moving on. You know, this European thing, um, I'm going to say along the way, uh, especially when we get to number three, um, we do have some problems with this because there aren't a lot of bands that really fit tightly in this idea of uh, of early European power metal. Euro- European power metal really starts picking up in 88 with Blind Guardian, uh, 89 with Stradivarius. I'll talk about that in, in a minute. Um, but for the early on, there is a little bit of a mix of, um, of this highly European, you know, uh, melodic sound. Now, I don't know how many of you have heard of this idea of Schlager music, but this idea of, of folk music and folk melody coming into German music. Um, so you get that in power metal. Um, you, you get, you get kind of even a, a Celtic bent in the new wave of British heavy metal. You get it, uh, get it in the Scandinavian music. Uh, we had an earlier episode on the new wave of Swedish heavy metal. A lot of that stuff is pretty power metal-y. Uh, you know, the likes of Overdrive, but certainly Europe, Europe's first and second album are, are true power metal, uh, type albums, especially the first one. It's full of, uh, great, you know, Valhalla, Frostcore, whatever you want to call it, Tundra music, uh, which is very power metal-y. But I digress. Uh, let's, uh, let's play this and then let's discuss. This is a little bit of Accept Metal Heart from March of 85. Take a listen. Right, so except doesn't quite fit in this. They aren't exactly post-Maiden. They basically started around the same time as Maiden, um, and they're you know they're German, and they also have a lot of really traditional heavy metal elements, which actually, frankly, puts them in the American power metal tradition as much as anything else. I mean, Dio and Accept kind of go hand in hand as this traditional thing. But I wanted to play Metal Heart because here you hear a real classical influence. It's it's one of their more power metally songs. Um, you know, we're up to, uh, what do we got here? One, two, three. This is, uh, this is the fifth, fifth album at this point, I believe. Um, so uh, along the way, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of, like I say, traditional stuff. There's, there's kind of proto thrash and fast as a shark and breaker, um, but this is a very power metally song, so I thought it played. You don't you don't get the kind of uh, you know high operatic, almost ridiculedly so high operatic singing that you associate with power metal um, out of Udo Dirkschneider. He's he's uh, more of a grunter, growler, you know, he, he you know terroristic kind of sound that comes out of comes out of his mouth. But essentially, you've got you've got a twin guitar sound. You get some twin leads, but you get those two guitars, which is that tradition back to priest and you get you know really good productions um so yeah very power metally song here uh but like i say more in the american tradition uh okay so before we move on to number three let's take a, a little bit of a break 
When we dropped the first few episodes of Rock and Roll Archaeology into the feed three and a half years ago, little did we know that this telling of rock and roll history would become a pantheon of rock and roll podcasts. Since many of you first joined us on our rock and roll exploration, the halls of the rock and roll pantheon have filled with shows like Deeper Digs in Rock, Rock and Roll Librarian, Muses, Art of Rock with Caution Friends, Real Rock with the Reverend Andy King, Miss Pamela's Pajama Party, Vinyl Snob, and more. We are proud of this one-of-a-kind approach to an audio magazine of high-quality shows. That is Pantheon, and thank you for your support. We couldn't have done it without you, our diggers who listen to all of our shows. And now, we are excited to let you know that every show available as part of Pantheon can be found in their own podcast feed to subscribe to in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the shows you've come to love. We look forward to adding more shows to fill the halls here in our Pantheon of Rock and Roll and find them all at PantheonPodcast.com. Keep up the rocking. All right, we're back, and um, let's move on to our third entry in uh, in History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, The Birth of European Power Metal. This is Gravedigger. We shall discuss, but take a listen. This one might shock you a little bit. Uh, this is a song called Getaway from their second album, Witch Hunter. I can sleep tonight. I am ready for fight. Now it's fast and it comes to haunting me. Okay, so the problem here is that Gravedigger, okay, later on they they became very sort of associated with power metal because they had a lot of uh, a lot of albums that were conceptual and went along uh, historical themes. Um, you know, they they have a lot of albums about war and uh, and old mythology. Um, but early on, um, you know, not a power metal singer out of Chris Boltendahl, um, definitely uh, quite a thrashy sound because, the, you know, Gravedigger is one of these uh, bands on the cusp where they sometimes get included in the uh, the early thrash tradition. Um, and, you know, frankly, you listen to that. I wanted to play a little bit of that because it does have some melody in it. And, you know, that's kind of a no-no. Uh, that chorus you heard in Getaway is a bit of a no-no in thrash. Um, but you also hear double bass in here. And I wanted to play some double bass because double bass is a tenet of thrash, but it's also a tenet of power metal. Power metal is is often quite a fast music, and it's got double bass, but, you know, the music on top of it is very, very different than you get out of thrash. So I wanted to give you those two examples with that one. Um, you know, along with Gravedigger, I wanted to include them because um, a, a big thing in... Uh, in power metal, uh, a lot of the early stuff came out of Germany, and Gravedigger often gets associated with the likes of Rage and with the likes of Running Wild. Running Wild is uh, is your famous first p- uh, pirate metal band, um, but they were considered pretty power metally as well. Uh, you know, just this good, disciplined, tight riffing, but again, um, you know, more of a growly uh, lead vocal on top, so that that kind of takes it away a little bit. Okay. 
So moving on, uh, number four, take a listen to this. This is a little bit of Engve Melmstein's rising force from his second album, Marching Out. This is I'll See the Light Tonight. All right, so now we are really moving into, um, you know, deeply into the idea of power metal. I mean, out of all of these ones that I picked, everything's kind of got problems, um, you know, truly linking up with power metal. But Angve Malmsteen and his band in this fantastic album, Marching Out, uh, you know, the first one didn't have a lot of vocals on it. There was a lot of instrumental, a lot of classical, um, but this one is mostly vocals. It's a it's a a uh, a drop dead uh, stone cold classic album. Very very power metally. So what you get on this is again uh, the big classical thing, the epic thing. Um, it, it, everything sounds very heroic. Um, but out of Engve Malmsteen, you got you get a guy who is you know he's Swedish. Um, you get a guy who. Uh, loved his Richie Blackmore. His favorite album of all time is Made in Japan. He loves Richie. Uh, he, like Richie, even more so, uh, all you know, references classical. He covers classical pieces. He references classical when he's doing solos. Um, and the other thing is later on, Stradivarius and and other bands will uh, will really pick up the uh, the baton from Engve in terms of uh, his his absolutely lightning fast style of playing, his sweet picking, his uh, again his his classical runs, and really run with it. And and he's probably the most important guitarist when it comes to the power metal tradition. Uh, you know, it, depending on where you put Richie Blackmore as as sort of the uh, the, the beginning dude in all of this. So uh, again, I wanted to keep this early. So right now we're at, uh, at an album that gets released on September 30th, 1985. Uh, you know, so far we've had Accept at March 85. Maiden was May of 83. Gravedigger was May of 85. So we're, we're still in a tight time frame. If you recall back to the American episode, everything was from, I think, 1983 and 1984. All right. So that was our number four. Let's move on to number five. And now here we get really the first, the first band with no problems whatsoever. I mean, even Engve Malmsteen, he's he's got um, he's got some. Uh, eventually, you know, he he's got he's got Americans in his band, and he and he even moves to the states. So so he's kind of moving away from this tradition. He's got a little bit of uh, you know, dare I say, a little bit of hair metally stuff going on. But his his later albums. We don't really think of Engve too much as as a true, true right in the middle power metal guy, because they're very guitar-y albums, and you know, with his name on them, they they kind of sound a little bit like uh, like solo projects. Um, I don't know; it's just a little bit of a strange dynamic. And like I say, he really becomes associated with America uh, later on. He's in the band Steeler. He's in the band Alcatraz. Um, so anyway, so here we go. Number five, let's play a little bit and we'll discuss. This is uh, Halloween, um, Ride the Sky from Walls of Jericho, their first full-length album. Ride the Sky 
All right, so Halloween absolutely are considered the first, you know, no-nonsense, no-strings-attached power metal band. They're from Germany, which is good, um, because Blind Guardian comes along as as kind of the next big one. They're also from Germany. Um, but Halloween... You know, the short narrative on Halloween is essentially they're, they're, the, they're the faster, younger, uh, reach higher, sing higher, you know, more dive-bombing guitar solos, everything, everything more dramatic version of Iron Maiden. So, uh, you know, this is Ride the Sky. You hear you hear this, the super high vocals. Uh, this is their first full-length album after um, after a debut EP. But um, this isn't even really the album that is considered the first proper power metal album. That would go to Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 1. They did a Keeper Part 1, and then they, then they did a Keeper Part 2. Uh, you know, they're just a little more power metally, I suppose, than this one, which has some thrashy elements as well. You can hear that in the guitars. So, you know, one, one of the things about this early stuff, I mean, really, you could take Accept. Uh, well, I actually... Halloween's the best example of this, but but really, you could take you could take Gravedigger, uh, Rage, Running Wild, except there's a lot of thrashiness going on there, and if you had a full-on thrash vocalist uh, on top. Um, you, you would basically have a thrash band. Now, some of those are, like I say, they do have the vocalists that are close to that. But Halloween is, is, a, is a true example where, um, you know, there's so much thrashiness that if you put a, a you know, a James Hetfield on top of that, um, or even a Dave Mustaine, I suppose, uh, you, you, would, you would have a thrash band. But instead... You have uh, you have these these singing twin leads, a little bit of the Schlager tradition in there, the the football soccer chant uh, sort of choruses across Halloween albums, and then Halloween eventually stayed in the game and kept making essentially this kind of music all the way up into you know today's Andy Darris uh, era, and then there was the breakaway. You know, there's some drama in Halloween, but essentially there's the breakaway band Gamma Ray. Uh, who, uh, again, are squarely, squarely a power metal band. Okay, so there you go. That's all five. And before we go, I just wanted to, you know, kind of bring this story up to date a little bit. Again, uh, you know, we are talking about the history, but the point is, is that uh, power metal uh, is is a very European thing in the main. And later on, what you have, as I mentioned, the breakaway band Gamma Ray, but you also have Primal Fear, which is a very, very uh, Judas Priest uh, type band. They're a breakaway band from Gamma Ray, in fact, with Ralph Sheepers in there on vocals. Um, but uh, you get an Italian tradition with a Rhapsody, later called Rhapsody of Fire. They even called themselves something called soundtrack metal because they had so many soundtracky elements in there that you could almost see this as soundtracks to movies. It was so epic and so you know Fantasia uh, type and uh, and just just very uh, very very progressive and melodic and a lot of keyboards and stuff like that. Stradivarius out of Finland again, uh, leading on from the Ingve Malmsteen thing and very melodic, a lot of keyboards. Jens Johansson was in was in Ingve. He's considered one of the big power metal keyboardists. Um, Blind Guardian, as I said, uh, Blind Guardian are, are most noted for um, these these vaulted vocal harmonies, uh, you know, somewhat from a Queen tradition, but also again very soundtracky and epic, and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Tolkien themes, so a lot of fantasy stuff. 
Falconer, uh, Nightwish, massive band, probably the biggest band commercially to come out of power metal, distinguished by the fact that they've had female lead vocalists, so they have a very operatic, they take the operaticness of a Rob Halford or a Jeff Tate, you know, to the extreme by having actual opera-sounding vocals, and they're even female vocalists. So, uh, again, and very fantasy themes uh, as well. Um, so there you have it. Uh, who? Oh yeah, yeah. We can't uh, we can't leave without mentioning Hammerfall and Hammerfall are a good reason why. Except I included accepting here because Hammerfall are huge Accept fans. Hammerfall were the band that um, you know really really came out with the uh, with the we are proud to be metal themes and let's not make apologies for metal because grunge was was uh, grunge and alternative was kind of pushing away the most traditional forms of metal and there is no more traditional form of metal than power metal so along comes hammerfall they have great success you know not massive american success we're not talking gold records but but they are still going they put out tons and tons of albums but they came along with like glory to the brave and and those records legacy of kings and and essentially um they uh they were the the completely non-apologetic we love metal we're going to we're going to deliver metal they they covered you know the early metal bands so that that comes a little bit from that Judas Priest Saxon uh thing the championing of metal thing and they were the big band for that but again um you know they were not, they were not you know finger flight of fancy stradivarius you know progressive metal snobby musicianly type metal um power metal they were you know ballerina metal loose uh, frilly sleeves metal as i call it um, no, they were more of the uh, the traditional accept uh, type thing, which again uh, lends a little bit to that gritty street level American version of power metal. All right, you confused yet? Well, you shouldn't be because that's really it. Basically, there are the there are the two uh, solitudes. There's the American power metal, the European power metal, uh, in terms of the birth, and then we we get to the power metal we lo- we know and love today. And like I say, seventy five percent of that comes from uh, basically uh, all over Europe. Uh, A lot of mainland Europe in there as well. Okay, there you go. That wraps up another episode of uh, History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Go to our Facebook group, um, just called that, History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, I believe, or my page or my public person page. Uh, give us show ideas. Um, you know, uh, feel free to disagree with me. I will engage with you. Uh, we can we can talk about what maybe I missed, what I should have included. Um, you know, there's already a vibrant discussion going over there. Um, you can email me directly at martinp at inforamp.net. You can, uh, you can see my book uh over at uh, martinpopoff.com that's it for now we shall talk to you again next time find all of our shows notes social and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts all songs can be found for purchase on itunes spotify or google play please purchase these great and important tracks Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. Hey, this is Joe. And Ryan. From the Highway High Five podcast. The history of rock music is littered with forgotten weirdos, eccentrics, and scoundrels. Highway High Five is an examination of the lesser known but equally vital aspects of music over the past hundred years or so through its most enduring medium, the vinyl record. 
We're record obsessives who are constantly trying to illuminate lost genres, artists, record labels, fads, conspiracies, technology, and legends whose strange histories are etched on circular wax. We cover records that were made for plants, truck driving country songs, the mafia's ties to record bootlegging, the ill-fated turntables for cars, the Mexican Woodstock, Waffle House's record label, the murderous true crime roots of Stagger Lee, Leonard Nimoy's highly illogical folk albums, the flammability of the Butthole Surfers live shows, Cereal Box Flexi Disc, the strange byproducts of the American private press trend, and so much more. Highway Hi-Fi is not just another Did You Ever Wonder Why podcast. We're more of a Why Haven't We Heard More About This podcast. Using trivia, deep dives into history and context, interviews, and curios from our record collections, we go track by track through the underbelly of music history to locate the roots of the world's fascination with vinyl records. And then we ridicule Billy Joel and the Eagles. And their fans. Check out Highway Hi-Fi on all reputable podcatchers. And a few of the shadier ones as well. We're a proud member of the Pantheon Music Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.